0: You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. Have you ever wondered to yourself, like, what is the meaning of life? What is the purpose to life? usually in those profound moments where you're sitting under a tree and an apple's falling your head or, you know, whatever it is, you know, usually it's like in high school when you actually have margin or college before you actually were into your adult life, you know, it's like you had time to sit around and ponder these things, you were forced to take philosophy classes or whatever, religious classes, it just made you think about these things. Well, the thing is, all of us are actually thinking about it and living it, but we just don't always realize it. Because whatever it is we think about the purpose of life, the meaning of life is, we're trying to like live forward out of that place. And as a result, our lives are actually driven to accomplish and be and do and see and feel and taste and touch all kinds of things based off however we answer that question, the meaning of life is. And so there was a movie, I don't know, roughly 12 years or so ago called The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, And my wife and I decided to rent it one night and it was kind of like Napoleon Dynamite. Like we got to the end of the movie, it was like, now what? And if you, how many of you are just curious, how many of you saw the movie? Whoa, okay, so like in the last service, either everybody went like this and I couldn't see it because nobody wanted to own it, or like hardly anybody saw the movie. Like one guy backstage afterwards told me, he said, man, I'm totally a nerd, I love that movie, I could have told you everything about that movie. Well, they determined in that movie that the answer to the meaning of life is this. You ready, do you remember? 42. Exactly, and they spent the whole movie building to that. Like the whole movie, there's this alien machine thing that was going to calculate it, it. kept calculating, and then finally it gives the answer, and the answer is 42. Now, people have wondered, did they know something the rest of us don't know? Because that is our natural assumption. Some dude who wrote a weird movie clearly knows something we don't know. In fact, they just, on the 10-year anniversary, I think the author's death or something like that, they came out with a book of, like, examples of why the number 42 has been significant but he has confessedly sat in his office writing the script and it came time to answer the question what is the meaning of life and he thought this needs to be a funny moment and he looked out his window across the garden that was there and decided to answer be 42 wrote it down and moved on it meant nothing at all but everybody's trying to derive meaning from it like clearly he must be on to something no he's on to the same things that we've been on to this whole time we all chase the same things in the same kinds of ways through all of history. Did you know that? Every man, woman in this room eventually will chase it down these same roads and end up at the same place. In fact, there's a famous celebrity who recently said this. <clears throat> I won't say who it is yet. They said, I've been to the top of money. I've had all the sex that I've ever wanted. I've had all the adoration. I've been to the top of all the material world mountains, and nothing makes you happy other than being useful to others. That's it. That's the only thing that ever will satisfy that thing is, is that what you're doing is useful. Any idea who said it? Well, here it is. Here's their picture. Some of you are like, I don't know who that is. Maybe this will help you a little bit. Oh, why didn't you say it was the Fresh Prince? Who's that other guy? (laughs) Will Smith just said that. I believe it was earlier this year. I think I read this. I think it was in a GQ interview. He said that. And I think it's fascinating if you plunge the depths of what he said, and he's got more to say on it if you want to go read the whole interview. Essentially, what he said is, look, I've been famous. Some of you who are a little younger maybe don't realize quite how famous he was at one point. His last few movies weren't really popular. It didn't really go well. The movie with his son was not real popular. But at one point, he would have been at the top of the list, making tons of money per movie. He would have been in that top recognizable face, name. He's saying, look, I had all the women I could have wanted, all the fame I could have wanted. But at the end of the day, it all left me empty. So his pursuits of trying to find happiness, what is the meaning and the purpose of life? Because that's ultimately what we're looking for. His pursuit left him down all those roads with emptiness. So he decided, like many people decide, so you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to be generous to other people. But here's the reality. Think about this, and some of you know it. You could be generous to other people, but you ever notice how much people take advantage of that? So then what happens when you determine the only thing left to do is to be kind to other people, and other people, they always want more, they always need more, they always take more, and then what happens, you just grow bitter, angry, frustrated, because you always give, 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 give. So how do we actually find purpose and meaning in life? Did you know that there's an entire book in the Bible dedicated to just that? And it's called Ecclesiastes. We're going to spend the next three weeks looking at the book. We could spend more time, but for the most part, there'll be some themes we don't get to. We're going to get through the whole book in three weeks. I encourage you to go back and start reading it. And here's kind of how the book kicks off. Ecclesiastes chapter one, verse two, it says this, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Now there's a dude that needs his annex, like, What is it like to come to the conclusion that literally everything in life is meaningless? Not just meaningless, meaningless. I'm going to say it again. Utterly meaningless. There is literally no purpose, no meaning in anything in life. Some of you would go, well, that's because he's never seen what I've seen, and he's never done what I've done. Like, I'm different. Well, let me just tell you, he'll go a little further. Jump down with me to verse 8 if you are in the book of Ecclesiastes. If not, it will always be right here on the screen. Verse 8, he says this. All things are wearisome. He doesn't leave much out, does he? All things, there's not a lot of wiggle room there. More than one can even say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear, it's full of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, oh, look at this, this right here, this is something new. It was here already long ago. It was here before our time. No one remembers the former generations, and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. That's a bad day. And by the way, it's going to get worse, so welcome to Kingsway. We hope you didn't come here depressed today because it's not going to get better. I'm just kidding. It will get better. The gentleman who wrote this book, and we'll talk about him in a minute, so let's just put that aside for a minute. What he wants you to know, so get the concept. He's building a foundation that he's gonna stand on for the entire book, and the book's a little bit circular, repetitive, he'll say the same things over and over again, but what he's trying to get you to understand is what you're experiencing is what everybody else or all time has ever experienced. There is nothing new under the sun. When I was a youth pastor 10 or so years ago, I would have teenagers tell me, whatever, if there's nothing new under the sun, then what about the internet? They didn't have the internet 50 years ago. I'm like, you think the internet concept is new. What does the internet do? It provides information and theoretically connectivity to other people. People have been doing that for years. They met in barbershops, they met in restaurants, Before the internet, we had the TV. Before TV, we used radio. Before radio, people used like telegrams, you know, and and Morse code. Before that, people traveled on horses and brought information. Before that, you can go all the way back to Jesus' day and before, and they literally had entire public places gathered for people who would travel from town to town, updating people on the news and the information of the day. It's the internet in a completely different form. That's what he's getting to. He's not saying that they had cars thousands of years ago. He's saying that ultimately, there's No difference. Transportation is transportation. You may be able to get further faster, but it's the same thing at the end of the day. There's literally nothing you will experience today that every generation before you and after you won't experience in their own unique way. So, if we're all heading down the same paths together, where are those paths taking us? Well, for him, he's coming to this pontificating moment where he's realizing just how depressing it really is. This is sad. This is terrible. There's nothing new under the sun. And not only that, but one day when my life is over, all of the accumulated fame and wealth and everything that I've ever done and accomplished, the next generation won't even care. So why did I do it? Look at verse 12. I, the teacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. You ever try to catch the wind? Come on now. Some of you who don't want to admit it because as an adult, you know that it's impossible, but as a kid, it was fun, right? I'll never forget, um, (laughs) like being a little kid, you know, the wind blows against you and you're just like feeling it, grabbing it. You can try it sometime, go ahead later today. It's kind of a windy fall day, right? Just go stand outside, and when the wind shifts direction, because if it doesn't shift, you got no chance, you're never catching up to it, but when it shifts direction, it comes at you, just put up both hands, and then right as it hits you, go like this, and then open your hand and see what you got. How's that gonna work? So everybody realizes, well, of course, you can't catch the wind. Yeah, I know, but see, when I was a kid, that became obvious quickly. I'm never gonna catch the wind. You could see it, you could feel it, you could experience it, you're never gonna catch it. However, so what I did is I moved on to bigger, better things. So I decided as a kid that I was going to chase a squirrel. (laughs) In fact, I have multiple pictures of my childhood of me standing around trees chasing squirrels. Now, when I was a kid, we didn't use cell phones to take pictures of everything under the sun. Like today, of course you have pictures of that because you have pictures of everything, of every moment of every day. But when I was a kid, we didn't have pictures of everything, only certain moments. And yet, we have this plethora of squirrel chasing moments. So apparently, I always thought I would chase the squirrel. And in fact, I remember one particular moment, I was getting a little bit older, and kind of like I was the dog, and my parents were like, hey Matt, squirrel. And I take off running. It's like, what is wrong with me? <laughs> What would happen, I wonder to myself, if I actually caught the squirrel? Uh, At some point, it dawned on me, I'm probably going to lose a finger, but I never got close enough. But see, okay, here's the thing. What the writer is trying to get to is that you and I are chasing things. We are chasing purpose, meaning, and happiness, and value, and joy, and experience, except for that we never really seem to catch it, do we? And if we do catch it, it's as elusive as the wind. We wouldn't even know what to do with it if we got there. Why is it very, very, very wealthy people at some point realize that all their wealth doesn't do much to change them? There are reasons guys like Bill Gates decide to start giving away billions and billions of dollars. And I realize, you know, you're probably sitting there thinking, like I did, well of course he still gets to keep billions. But see, Bill Gates has been famous for saying, among other people like him, there comes a point where you have so much money, there's really nothing left to buy. And I know what you're thinking, because you're thinking to yourself right now, I'd like to find out. (laughs) It'd be nice to try that sometime, Pastor. But here's what they know, and what this teacher knows, that you and I maybe don't know yet, because experience hasn't taught us. That is, even if you get it, it won't bring you what you're looking for. See, you already know this at the heart level. You know this at the experiential level because you've experienced at your level, not at the level of billions, of, you know, in homes and houses and cars. You've experienced in the you remember the last time you bought that dress or those shoes, ladies? Remember in your mind you were gonna put it on? Your husband, your boyfriend, whoever the men in your life are gonna look, you'd go like, wow, you are smoking hot, baby. And then you go out in public and all your girlfriends and be like, wow, girl, you look good. You know exactly what I'm talking about. And then, like, two weeks later, you were gonna go on a date again, and you went in your closet and you go, Oh, I have, say it with me, nothing to wear. What about that awesome looking thing you bought, you wore a couple weeks ago? I already wore that. I've already been there, I've already done that. Now, come on, guys got their own thing, right? We've all got that thing because when you chase after it, what you were looking for was elusive. And so when you had it, it was like holding sand, right? And just kept slipping through your fingers, like grabbing the wind. It's like chasing a squirrel. And it doesn't matter how hard you try. When you get it, you don't ever really get it. And it leaves you with one of two options. Either the drive to get it again. I need that evolution, that feeling, that thing that I had. It was momentary. It only lasted a moment when everybody said, You look great or whatever it is. I got to get that. You're awesome. Way to go. Good job. I got to get it again and again and again and again and again. It's like chasing the wind. It's never enough. This little phrase here, meaningless, it has more than one meaning in the Hebrew. I like one of the alternative meanings. This one is good. Here's the one I like, though. Meaningless can also be translated as temporary. Temporary. So if you were to go back to Ecclesiastes 1 verse 2 and just kind of read it that way again, it would say something like this, temporary, temporary, says the teacher, utterly temporary. Everything is temporary. Are you with me? Why is that? Because it's fleeting. It's here one minute. It's gone the next James later on in the New Testament would quote actually I believe it's Solomon in the Old Testament and say that very idea life is but a mist life is like a vapor I don't know if anybody was up early enough today to experience that but there was a whole lot of vapor and mist outside you could hardly see to drive into the church earlier this morning as you're coming in but see it's going to last for a minute just like life now see when I was in my early mid-20s like from 25 to 30 the only thing that was really different about my life was how much I did or didn't exercise that was it but then I had kids, like, in my early 30s, and all of a sudden, like, every moment of my life is marked by something. And my kids, like, they go from birth to six months. Huge difference. Six months to a year, year to two years, two to three, three to four. Now I look back at pictures, and I'm like, oh, my goodness, stop growing. Stop maturing. Just stay a little boy the rest of your life. But let's go back to when you were an obedient little boy, back to, like, 15 months old. Let's go back there. I'm just kidding. See, life is like that. No matter how hard I try to grab it, in fact, the harder I squeeze, the quicker it goes away. It's tough, huh? This is why the author, this all leads him to this place, Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 1. He said, so I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. (laughs) But that also proved to be meaningless. Now, what's going on here? The vast majority of scholars, though not all, the vast majority of scholars believe that Solomon is the guy who wrote the book. So he talks about being a king over Israel and accumulating more more wealth, more more stuff than anybody before him. And we know historically Solomon was unbelievably wealthy. He brought wealth to the nation of Israel like none other. And he was the son of David. Not the only son, but the son who became king after David. And at the beginning of his kind of coronation and, and inauguration into kingship, Uh, He went to God in prayer and he had this powerful prayer with God where he says, God, would you grant me wisdom that I might lead your people well? And God said to Solomon, Solomon, since you've asked for wisdom to lead well and not for money and power and wealth and fame, but because you've asked me for wisdom, I'm going to give you all of the other stuff thrown in also. Now, this is the point where we read Solomon's story and we think, oh, I know how then to get God to do what I want him to do. I'll say, God, give me wisdom to be a better leader, a better husband, better wife, better employee, and then I'm gonna get my get-rich-quick scheme. Yeah, that's called the prosperity gospel today, and it doesn't work. That's not how God works. See, God knew Solomon's heart, but also God puts tests in front of all of us. The scripture's clear on this, to see if our hearts and our lives will legitimately live out what we have said we believe about God. Solomon does well early but over time his heart turns because what he's saying essentially in the text that I've read and I'm about to read to you what he says basically is I decided then to find out all that this world has to offer but I had a gift from God called wisdom so I kept my wisdom about me this gift, this special gift from God about me so that I could go down each of these paths and see what they have for me take a look Ecclesiastes chapter 2 verse 4 I undertook great projects I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well. And The delights of a man's heart. That's not just related to the harem. He's saying everything had delighted a man's heart. I accumulated all of it. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. And all this, my wisdom stayed with me. Now, one thing that's important for you to note here is you aren't Solomon. God imparted on Solomon a spiritual gift. And God did not remove that gift in spite of Solomon's choices in life. But this is an important piece because, see, most of us learn in one of two ways. We either learn because someone taught us, we embrace the teaching, we adopt it to our lives, and we live out of that, or we learn the hard way. You know what I mean by the hard way, right? Some of you know really, really well what I mean. The hard way is when I can't look at anybody else's teaching, I can't look at anybody else's life or experiences, I must go through it myself. Now Solomon is responsible as far as we know for three books in the Bible. Proverbs, Songs of Songs, or a Song of Songs, or Song of Solomon, it's called, and then Ecclesiastes. And the, the the popular theme in Solomon's writings are that there are basically two categories, you might even say three, but two primary categories of people, the wise and the fool. The wise is someone who can listen to teaching, listen to wisdom, adopt it into their life, make necessary adjustments to align their life to the wisdom. The fool says in his own heart, there is no God. I can do life my way. I don't care what you've experienced. I don't care that every single person in the history of the world now and before now has experienced the exact same things. I'm smarter. I'm stronger. I'm better. I can handle it. Basically, Solomon says, don't be a fool. Nobody is better than wisdom. Wisdom is gold. Seek it, find it, apply it, live it, carry it, because your life will be blessed if you do. So what Solomon is letting you know is, I decided to go down this path, experience everything that my heart desired. If I wanted it, I chased it as far as it could go. But by God's grace, he allowed me to keep my wisdom so that I could be a living example for you to follow. So that you could see my life and understand that I know what every single one of these roads has in it. You Read the rest of Ecclesiastes. He chases fame, wealth, money, Power, riches, women. Notice he said about a harem. We're told in the scriptures that Solomon had a 1,000 women, 300 wives, 700 concubine. Seven, a concubine would be basically a wife with, without the title and privilege of wife, but all the responsibilities of a wife. You can fill in the blanks later. Don't Google it. So a 1,000 women in his life, and yet all of them, all of them left him meaningless, temporary without the happiness that he was trying to find. So he goes on, verse 10. He says, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. When I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. That's a sad day, the day that you come to that recognition. And yet it's a glorious day. Many scholars will tell you that Ecclesiastes is good news. In fact, a book that I actually enjoy about this book is called The Gospel According to Ecclesiastes. The gospel, the word gospel literally means good news. So in other words, the author is saying, Here's the good news according to Ecclesiastes. But when you read this, it doesn't seem or feel like good news, does it? It feels pretty depressing. There's a a famous song that came out in the last year, a guy by the name of Shawn Mendes, a phenomenally talented young man, great voice, great musician, great writer, just unbelievably talented. And he wrote a song, um, I Googled the name of the song and it told me the wrong thing. So the slide's gonna be wrong and you're gonna make fun of me like somebody else did between the services The song is actually called, uh, I think it's called In My Blood or something like that. But here is most of the words to the song. He says, help me. It's like the walls are caving in. Sometimes I feel like giving up, but I, I just can't. It isn't in my blood. Laying on the bathroom floor, feeling nothing. I'm overwhelmed and insecure. Give me something that I could take to ease my mind slowly. Just have a drink and you'll feel better. Just take her home and you'll feel better. Keep telling me that it gets better. Does it ever? The song basically repeats, there's a couple other lines, but that's almost the entire song right there. And if you know the song, you know it's extremely well done, well produced, well written. But man, is it a cry of a generation looking for an answer to the purpose of life? I keep chasing things. I got I got fame, I got celebrity, I got money, and I'm miserable. How do I make it go away? Well, just have a drink. You'll feel better. Just just take that girl home. Have an experience with her. You'll feel better. But do I ever? I keep going down the same roads. I keep chasing the same things. And at the end of them all, I feel the same. Isn't there anybody out there who can help me? And Solomon's going, yes, I can. If you'll listen, I have wisdom for you. But before he could get there, Solomon had to be able to feel like Sean and like many of us. In fact, he goes on in chapter 2, verse 17, and Sean, or not Sean, Solomon, says this. So I hated life because the work that done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. It's all meaningless. It's all temporary. I feel like I'm just wasting my time in my life. So what is the point of all of this? Well, in a nutshell, the book of Ecclesiastes is intended to show us what life is like between the garden and heaven. For those of you who may not know, in the garden, everything was perfect. Life had deep meaning and purpose because we were walking in a right relationship with God. But then Adam and Eve sinned, and since then, every generation has sinned since then, including me and including you. And so Ecclesiastes is written to basically summarize what life is like here. It's full of hard work and toil and strife. Bad things happen to good people. He covers that in the book. Good things happen to bad people. It makes us frustrated. He covers that in the book. And eventually, he covers this later at the end of the book, our teeth are going to grind down, our hair is going to fall out, our eyes are going to fail, and we're going to be even more miserable because there isn't much joy to get out of life. It's going to have pain and suffering and difficulty and strife and struggle and hard work, and everything we chase is going to leave us feeling empty. Yay, I'm you glad you came to church today? But there's more to the story. And here's the more. A guy named Martin Luther, you may have heard of Martin Luther. The Lutheran churches were were birthed out of his work. He was one of the major reformers. Martin Luther, in his commentary on Ecclesiastes, he says this. Now, I'm going to read his quote, and then I'll make sense of his quote, because I know sometimes we read older quotes, and, you know, like C.S. Lewis sometimes even, you're like, what in the world is that guy saying? So here we go. Martin Luther says this. The summary and aim of this book, Ecclesiastes, then is as follows. Solomon wants to put us... At peace and give us a quiet mind in the everyday affairs and business of this life, so that we live contentedly in the present without care and yearning about the future, and are, as Paul says in Philippians 4 6, without care and anxiety. In other words, what Martin Luther just said, the entire point of the book is to help us actually understand what the meaning of life is and that when we put our life in perspective, we'll have contentedness today and we aren't gonna be stressed about tomorrow because we already know who is in tomorrow and who's gonna take care of it. In fact, come back to uh, Ecclesiastes now. Let's let Solomon tell us the point of the book. Chapter two, verse 24. A person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. This too, I see, is from the hand of God, for without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? Now, what Solomon just said is deeply profound and powerful. In other words, what he just said is, your life is a gift from your heavenly father who is good and perfect. In fact, James later says, I think it's James chapter 1, verse 17, um, every good and perfect gift comes down from our heavenly Father, the Father of heavenly lights. What is the point of these texts? Have you ever sat around under that tree before the apple fell on your head and woke you up, and you're pontificating and you're pondering life and meaning and purpose and all those other things? Has it ever dawned on you that food tastes good? I mean, okay, think about it. What if all food tasted like your favorite food? I don't care what it is. Apples, bananas, syrup, spaghetti, candy corn, candy, candy canes. I'm missing one, aren't I? Some of you are like, I have no idea what you're doing right now. Anyway, the five of you are with me. The elf? All right, anyway, forget it, moving on. So you're like, why do you do that? Because I'm ADD, I can't help it. So pick your favorite food, whatever it is, pizza, eat it over and over and over again, every single meal, every day. About how long you think you're gonna love it. Well, I'll give you a clue. When I was a youth pastor, I loved pizza. I still love pizza. And there was a season where we had like two or three youth events, and then there were a couple of church events. And my wife and I, before it all started, ordered a pizza. And we went about two weeks. And I wouldn't be joking if I said I ate pizza like 12 times in two weeks. And at the end of it, I swore I'd never touch it again. That lasted about a month. Now I still love pizza again. But it didn't take long, but we're like, I can't stand this. But have you ever noticed that how God has expanded your palate I realize there are exceptions to the rule. My mom has gone through two bouts with cancer, and and after one of them, like, literally just lost almost all flavor for food. She said, almost all food tastes the same. It all tastes like cardboard. But have you ever noticed that it's not like that for most of us? I I know there are exceptions, but salty things and sweet things and textured things, and some are slimy and some are more firm and some are juicy. Oh, you're getting hungry now, aren't you? Good job, pastor. Thanks a lot. And it tastes good. Why? Because God is good. Have you ever noticed the joy that you feel when you're watching uh, uh, something fun and exciting? It could be a movie, it could be an orchestra, it could be a football game, and and you feel this elation. You watch it, you you find yourself swept up into the moment. Why? Because God is good. Have you ever noticed that the joy that you feel when you go and find whatever that is, that new outfit, that hat, that thing that you just think and you put it on, you you look in the mirror and you go, Man, I make this look good. I'm sorry. Like they, they made that for me, they had that in mind when they made that me. And there's just something beautiful about that moment. See, all of these are a gift from God, because he loves you. See, when I put God first in my life, then everything else has its right place. It's something else. An outfit is never gonna bring meaning to my life. Shoes are never gonna bring meaning to my life. Cars are never gonna bring meaning to my life. Sports are never gonna bring meaning to my life. My wife, my husband, some of your husbands, let me clarify. Kids are never gonna bring meaning to your life, ever. God brings meaning to my life, because he gave me life, and he's the creator of life, and so the rest of these things are things that I can experience that really point me back to him and go, thank you, God. Almost every prayer we pray in my family sounds like this. God, thank you. Thank you for being good. God, thank you that today me and the boys went out in the backyard and just ran around and played. Thank you for bodies that can run Thank you for family to enjoy it with. Thank you for a big backyard. God, thank you. Today we ate this meal. Or we're about to eat this meal. It smells fantastic. God, thank you. God, would you bless us, Taco Bell? Because we know you're the only one who can. Father, would you? <laughs> we literally do pray that. I'm not joking. <laughs> but see, then all of these things in life that we chase, when they have the right place, they have meaning. When they have the wrong place, they become gods to us. And when they become gods to us, God tells us, and even showed and revealed through Solomon, what happens. In the book of Romans, chapter 1, goes to this. That because we did not put God first and we chased other things, God handed us over to our decisions. And the byproduct of that is that we carry the weight of everything that came with it. Failed relationships, pain, failed families, bankruptcy. Paralyzing debt, loneliness, anxiety, depression. Why is Solomon so depressed? Because he's chasing everything, and it's just leaving him empty inside. But then he goes on, and he says in verse 25, "For without him, is God, who can eat or find enjoyment. To the person who pleases him, this is God. God gives wisdom." Knowledge and what? Happiness. The very thing you're looking for. We'll come back to that. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over to the one who pleases God. This too is meaningless. A chasing after the wind. What Solomon is getting to is this really difficult but biblical truth, and it's this. When I live my life out of God's pleasure, for God's pleasure, I get everything else too because I'm living my life in the way that God intended and created me to live it. But when I don't, I get constant frustration and everything I do accumulate, God actually gives it away because I'm not a worthy steward. I can't be trusted with it. So he's gonna hand it off to someone else. Now what that means is this. It's important for me to align my life and my heart to God's life and God's heart. Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 10, I have come to give life and give it to the fullest. In other words, you will not find what you're looking for apart from Jesus. You're only going to find it in him. In, in the Psalms, David writes it. He says, God wants to give you the desires of your heart, But see, when you put all these pieces together, I can't desire something other than God and have God give it to me. He would not be a good father if he were to give me what I'm looking for and it's other than him. So what he does do is he says, fine, if you want something that's not me, take it. But you get everything that comes with it. You're going to chase this thing to its end, and you're going to find yourself right where Solomon finds himself. You're going to chase it, and it's going to leave you miserable and depressed and sad and anxious and upset and bankrupt and broken family and broken marriage and all these things. But here's the good news. If that is your story today, you need only do one thing. Turn and come home. Come home. God restore and rebuild all the years of chasing after the wind. In fact, if I could put it in one little phrase, I would say it like this. Pursue the provider over the pleasure. That's a lot of Ps, but it's to help you remember it. Pursue the provider over the pleasure. I'm going to do something really cheesy, right? I'm going to have you say that with me. So if you're at home, you're going to talk to your computer screen. But I want you to say this with me out loud. And look, if you're visiting with us and you're just weirded out, you're like, I'm not drinking the Kool-Aid. That's fine. We'll drink the Kool-Aid afterwards. we we'll take communion. Just right now, just mumble your way through this. All right? Give me your best shot. Here we go. Ready? All together on three. One, two, three. Pursue the provider over the pleasure. <clears throat> it kind of sounded <clears throat> like you came from a monastery, like you're a monk. Like, dami <laughs> I did that last service I hadn't planned on. I was like, I'm going to do that one again. And some of you have no idea what what I just did right now. You had to be living in the 70s or 80s to have any clue what I just did. And I'm not going to tell you. You're going to figure that out on your own. All right. We're going to do this together again, one more time, with lots of energy, all together, excitement, like this actually means something for our lives. Ready? On three. One, two, three. Pursue the provider over the pleasure. Good job. Well done. Now, I want you to go and practice that. So what that means is you might have to turn away from something in your life that you're chasing that's leading to your destruction, your death, your pain, your sorrow, and you're gonna turn back to God. This might be hard. It might, it might feel to you like pain because you start to think, in order for me to turn away from that, it means changing jobs. It means changing perspectives. I talk to Kingsway people all the time who say, man, I have the worst, most miserable boss in this whole community, and I don't know who you are, so I'm not talking about you if you're in this room. My boss only wants one thing. They're a miserable person. All they do is they work, they work, they work, they work, and they demand that of us. They just want to work. But I have other things that I'm living for. I'm living for my heavenly father. So I'm also a a father. I'm also a wife. I'm also a mom. I'm also a dad. I'm a friend. I invest in this community. I don't just work. I'm not just an employee. It's not the only thing that I am and that I'm chasing. I'm chasing God. So look, if you are chasing the wrong things, I just want to encourage you today to turn around, and it might be radical. It might be radical, and it might be scary, and it might be terrifying, and you might think to yourself, if I become one of those, as my son calls them, Christianers, because he's still trying to figure out how to say it, if I become one of those Christianers, man, it's gonna be all this list of rules, of things I gotta stop doing that I don't wanna stop doing, all this list of things I gotta start doing that I don't know how or want to start doing. Here's the thing, you gotta let go of all that for a minute, okay? Just let it go. Here's what Jesus says. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus says, come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, and I'm gonna give you rest. Doesn't that sound nice? Stop running, stop chasing, stop trying to get, to find, to seek. Just come and find rest. Then he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I am gentle and humble in heart. And you are gonna find rest, not just for your bodies, not just for your minds, for your souls. That's the Hebrew concept of shalom And the word shalom can actually mean success. You know the thing you've been looking for? You're never gonna find it, and going after more, you're gonna find it right here in God. And as you rest yourself in him, what you're gonna find is his burden is light, and his yoke is easy. It's not gonna be as hard as you thought. It's not gonna be wearisome. You're just gonna have to come and rest. That's what we're gonna do is take communion. Shift gears yet, all right? Communion people, just sit for a second, all right? Communion servers. Some of you really, really are hearing the voice of God. You know exactly what it is he's telling you to do. You know you need to respond. While we take communion, I just want to give you a moment to hear that voice clearer. Wrestle with God. Take the juice, take the bread, spend some time in God's presence. Hear his voice, bask in his grace and in his glory, and then when communion's over, we're gonna sing and it's time to act. My fear is you're gonna be like Dan, whose testimony I read last week, and you're gonna hear this message, you're gonna be convicted, and you're gonna walk out and live the same life. How much pain do you have to go through? Please, please, I'm begging you, don't be a fool. Don't be a fool, be wise. Hear wisdom, receive it, and act on it. And today, if you're ready to respond to Jesus, if you've got something in your life you need help with, you've got a sin you've got to deal with, you've got to walk through some healing and forgiveness with somebody else, we've put together ministries and resources to help you, and we want to introduce you to Jesus. As we sing that song after communion, I just want you to come down here to my left, your right. There'll be some people wearing purple, lavender-colored shirts. They'll say, connect on it. Just go to them and say, I need help. I need help. Let me pray over you. And then we'll take communion. Father, there are men and women in this room who uh, could literally say the words of Sean's song. Help me. It feels like the walls are closing in. Father, I want to pray for them right now. Those men and the women maybe watching online or later down the road or just sitting here right now. And they didn't come knowing or expecting you to speak in such a way, but you're here whispering your words of love. You're drawing them, calling them into yourself. Father, move in a way that my words can't stir in them, convict them. May they know and feel your love for them. But God, may they be moved right now to not stay the way they were when they came in. God, the enemy is going to scream anxiety and fear God, I pray that you would stomp that out, crush those thoughts, those ideas. May the light of the gospel shine brightly right now. And Father, I pray that at the end of this communion time, would you speak so clearly that people would move, respond, be drawn into your presence. And there, find a light burden and an easy yoke. Father, we love you. Thank you for giving us Solomon's experience that we could learn from and not have to learn the hard way. We ask all these things in Jesus' name.